0: Again, it's good to see you, glad you're here. College students, good to see you all. Hope your semester has started off on the right foot. You're ahead of your schedule, right? You have, you have it all under control, and all your assignments turned in, and everything's going well. Keep it up. It'll be over before you know it. The semester will be. Everyone else, it's good to be together, good to see you. If you have a Bible, open it up to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to spend some time at the, at the end of Ephesians chapter 3 today. We'll look at a couple of other texts, but that will be sort of our home text this morning. And so if you have a Bible uh, either on your device or an actual paper Bible, you might want to open it up so you can follow along. Back in 1950, the Hayden Planetarium in New York City put an advertisement in magazines and newspapers across the country. And the ad was an invitation to everyone and anyone who wanted to, to be a part of the crew on some of the very first flights to other planets trips to other planets including the moon or they could choose another planet and although the planetarium really didn't have any specific plans for space travel they were very specific in their instructions and they told people if you apply you need to know a few things one of those things was passengers can only take luggage that weighs one pound (laughs) what would you take if you could only take a pound of luggage they said, if you have high blood pressure, you need to know that you may have a momentary blackout on this trip, so <laughs> know that up front. And of course, uh, many of the people got excited about this. They saw these ads and they said, yes, that's what we want to do. And they, they included letters and appeals along with this simple application. And many of them wanted to, to be some of the first people who got to travel to another planet or to the moon. And everyone was assured that when they applied, their reservation would be kept in the archives of the museum for the day when it came that these trips would take place. Over 18,000 people applied to go on these first trips to outer space. One guy wanted to take his, his wife on their honeymoon to the moon, which, eh, you know, that makes sense. One child said, I need to know beforehand so I can let my teacher know I won't be in school that day. <laughs> she also wanted to take her dog on the trip one guy wanted to go to venus because he wanted to see with his own eyes whether or not there were dinosaurs on venus and one guy said hey i'm going to sign up hold my reservation but if i end up going on my own in a flying saucer those were his words a flying saucer then you can cancel my reservation (laughs) i'm sure they took note of that what an ingenious marketing idea wasn't it What an ingenious idea. They tapped into something, this this deep felt need, this desire for something new and exciting and different. They ignited people's imaginations. People began to dream about traveling to outer space, going to the moon, traveling to another planet. Much later, one museum worker said this. He said, it was a publicity stunt to get people to use their imaginations and think about space travel you see that's the thing about imaginations they create new possibilities they create new realities I read that the museum after this took all of those applications all of those letters all of those appeals and they put them in front of a group of psychologists to study these things and to analyze them and to look at them And they looked at all of these things and they said in the vast majority of cases that those who applied to go on space travel on some of these early tours to the moon and other planets, that most of them had this in common. They were discouraged with their own lives and with the world here. And they wanted something different. They wanted to create a new life. They wanted a new possibility. Now, when you hear that, can you relate to that? Maybe not relate to signing up to go to the moon, although for some of you that probably sounds very exciting. But can you relate to the idea of looking around in this world or maybe even looking at your own life and thinking, there's got to be something better. There's got to be something more. And occasionally you find yourself dreaming and imagining a, a different situation, a different life, a different world. Now of course as followers of Jesus we have that to look forward to don't we We look forward to eternity with God we look forward to our heavenly home we know this isn't our permanent home we know there is a better life as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 18 we fix our eyes not on what is seen but what is unseen because what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal And we know that we have a reservation, that it is being kept secure for us. Our reservation, our deposit, held by the Holy Spirit, secured by the blood of Jesus, is in eternity, our heavenly home. But until that day, we are here, and we must live in this world, on this planet. And yes, sometimes life here gets difficult, doesn't it? Sometimes life is not easy. We look around and we see so much that is wrong in our world. We see injustice, we see pain, we see discord and and disunity, we see hatred, we see all of these things that we know are not from God, and yet we experience them in this life and in this world. We find ourselves in a culture that is generally hostile toward Christ and Christianity, Christian values are clashing with a secular culture that is all around us. For example, truth is no longer something that that you work and move to discover. Capital T, absolute truth. Now, what does the world say? Our culture says truth is not out there to be discovered. Truth is inside you. You don't discover truth. You get to dictate truth, your truth which may be different than my truth and we have all these cultural forces at work pushing in on the church and how does that make us feel sometimes we get discouraged don't we sometimes we look around at this world and we just get discouraged we worry we are concerned where is this all headed We hear the stories, we see the stats that say the church is not growing. In fact, it's going the opposite direction. It seems to be shrinking. We see our kids and our grandkids caught in the middle of these cultural forces. And we worry. We worry about the future. The future of our world, the future of the nation, the future of the church. We are discouraged. If that's the case, I want you to listen to Paul's words today. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes these words of encouragement to a young church in Ephesus, a church that finds itself in the middle of cultural wars, a church that finds itself in a place that is hostile toward Christ and followers of Christ. Ephesians 3, verse 13, Paul says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are for your glory he says you can't see the full picture what you view as gloom and doom is really for your glory Paul says I know I am in prison that's not good physically (laughs) from all standpoints of earth that is not a good place to be And I know that you, the church in Ephesus, is in this this culture that is hostile toward anyone who tries to follow Christ, that is pushing you to the margins of society, that you don't have the same opportunities, that sometimes your lives are at risk. Paul says, I know that, but don't be discouraged. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. There is reason for hope. You say, well, how? how? How can you find hope? Where can you find hope? Remember, this is coming from someone who is likely in prison writing these words. There is hope. And more than anything else, that's what I want you to see today. That is the message, the heart of the message today. Sometimes messages are to challenge. Sometimes they're to challenge how you think. Sometimes they're to challenge our actions and behaviors. Sometimes they're to correct some things. This message, it's meant to inspire hope in you, to encourage you, to give you some sense of assurance. And it doesn't come from me, it comes straight from God Himself through His inspired Word. You see, in Ephesians 3, Paul is praying for this church and he shares his prayer with them. But I think it's not just in chapter 3 that we see this prayer. To me, the end of chapter 3 is just really an extension, a continuation of the prayer that He has already been praying for them. Beginning in chapter 1, This prayer that is filled with praise to God and empowerment of God's people. So why should we not be discouraged? Listen to what Paul says as he prays. And I want you to listen for for a couple of recurring themes. What words seem to keep showing up over and over? Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason, Paul writes, what reason? Well, what did he just say in verse 13? I don't want you to be discouraged. For this reason, that you will not be discouraged, I kneel before the Father. He has them in his heart. The Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all of Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love, this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Did you, did you hear the themes there? Did you hear the, the words on repeat? I heard love and power, power and love. Two strong forces that the church needs in abundance these days you see Paul isn't just trying to encourage them he is trying to encourage them remember he said don't be discouraged please don't be discouraged he is trying to encourage them which means give courage to someone don't give up don't lose heart He's not only trying to encourage them, he is trying to empower them. He is trying to give them power. Not so much give them power, as remind them of the power they already have in Christ. Why should they, why should we not be discouraged when we look around our world today and we see so much wrong with our world? Why should we not be discouraged when we see so many forces coming at the church? Because we have access to God's immeasurable love and his infinite power. That is Paul's message. We are not left on our own. We have the love of God and the power of God among us, in us, working through us. He says to them, you are already rooted and established in love. In other words, you don't have to go look for it. You don't have to earn it. That's where you stand. You are rooted in love. And so he says, that's the foundation. That's the eternal truth. What you are and what you have in Christ. He said that earlier in the very chapter previous to chapter three and chapter two, he reminds him, chapter two, verse four, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we are dead in transgressions it is by grace you have been saved and so what does Paul say he says you are rooted and established in love in the love that God has for you so so receive it embrace it grasp it stand in it no matter what happens in this world no matter what happens in life no matter how many forces you think are out there coming after you know that you are loved And it's that love that makes you able to find hope and peace. You see, that's the same message he gave to the Romans. He asked this hypothetical question. He posed this question. Is there anything in this world, even beyond this world, is there anything that can separate you from the love of God? And then he goes on to answer his own question, Romans 8, verse 37. No, that's the answer. from the love God has for you. Love is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling that Christians sing about or talk about. It is a foundational truth. Paul says it is what enables you to be more than conquerors in this world. We don't usually think of love that way. You are loved beyond reason. For the life of me, I can't understand how people read And try to embody the New Testament. And yet somehow dismiss or discount the role of love. Paul says you need to know that you are rooted and established in love. No matter what is going on around you. You can live in the reality of God's infinite love. A love that reaches to the heavens. A love that extends to the horizons. He says I want you to know the height, the depth, the width. It's immeasurable. That's the love God has for you. It's not just how much you know that will help you conquer this world. Do you remember what he said about love? It's a love that surpasses knowledge. And it's interesting, his word choice there, because he says, I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I want you to have knowledge of a love that surpasses knowledge. Why did he say it that way? I think he said it to get people's attention. So they would focus in on that. But I think he's also communicating a profound eternal truth. It's the same truth he talked about in 1 Corinthians 13. You can have all of these other gifts and talents. You can have all this other influence and status, but it means nothing apart from love. Love that surpasses knowledge. He says it's yours. You don't just have it. It's, It's where you stand. You're rooted and established in love. It is part of your identity It is your purpose to live in love. What's the second word that Paul used quite often in that prayer, in that passage there at the end of Ephesians chapter 3? Not just love, but power. Paul closes this prayer with this beautiful doxology, this, this praise to God, reminding us that we're not only loved by God, but we have access to the power of God the one who created the universe, the one who raises the dead to life. We have that power in us. Ephesians 3, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul concludes his prayer. So why should we not be discouraged? Because we are loved beyond reason and because we have access to unlimited power. However powerful you think the forces of this secular culture are, however powerful you think the things that are coming after you are, they do not compare to the power of God. And it's not just a power we witness sometimes. When you get those glimpses of heaven here on earth, it's not just a power that you see when good triumphs over evil, when justice defeats injustice, when love conquers hate. Those moments are special. They are divine. But he says there is a power that's not just out there to witness. Where is this power? Where is it working? He says it's working in you it's a power that is working within us you see we aren't left to navigate this world by our own power we have the spirit of God dwelling in us the presence of God the power of God working in and through us we are not powerless some of us need to start praying big and believing big and living like it can happen you know why because God can do more than we ask or imagine that's what Paul says that's what we need to hear God can do more than we ask or imagine do you ever just stop and reflect on that great truth just think about that for a moment and let your imagination go a little bit now some of us don't like that we're like wait we're realist This is never going to happen. We're never going to travel to outer space. This isn't isn't reasonable. It's not realistic. Put all that to the side for a moment. And just imagine. Start with the world. Start on a global scale. A macro perspective. Imagine a different world. Imagine a world where there was no war. Imagine a world where God reigns supreme in all nations again there's a part of us that's going now that'll never happen that's impossible that's not feasible just put that to the side for a moment imagine just let your brain go there let your heart go there imagine a world where God reigns supreme but let's bring it closer to home imagine a nation a nation ordered by the values of the kingdom of God. I'm not saying imagine a nation that conforms to, to your specific political views or your agenda. I'm saying a nation that truly values the teachings of Jesus. A nation that represents the values, in the, kingdom, of the, the values and the morals of the kingdom of God. What would that nation look like? How would it function? Yeah, that's just not reasonable. You don't... It's not, that's not the way government works. It's not the way. I know. Just for a moment. Imagine. What about closer to home? The church. Congregation like this. This church. Imagine. Imagine a better version of this church just as you imagine a better version of the world and our nation imagine a better version of the church what would it look like what would people say and do how would they treat each other how would we would be would we be focused on on a purpose or what would we be doing with our time and resources what would it look like what about your own home your family if you're married your marriage imagine the best version of that Imagination creates a new reality. Imagination takes us to a somewhere different, somewhere better. Now, will God change the world or transform our country before Jesus returns? Will he reverse the trend that we seem to be seeing with the church not necessarily growing right now? Will he bring healing and hope to your marriage or to your family, to your situation? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if God will, but I know God can. God can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. If you can imagine it, God can do it. And so much more. That's the God we serve. I'm not suggesting that that simply asking or imagining is somehow this magic formula that enables us to get whatever we want in this life. Of course, we know that. God's ways are not our ways. His timing is not always our timing. Our desires are not always aligned with his desires, unfortunately. But I know this. Our prayers, our asking, our visions, our imagination, all of those things need to be shaped by our God-given purpose. What is our purpose? Paul tells the church in Ephesus, what our purpose is, what their purpose was. Back in the very first chapter, a phrase that he repeats throughout the letter, throughout the prayer. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. That we might be, we might exist, we might live for the praise of his glory. Now, we probably would say it maybe a little bit differently, but do you understand what he's saying? that every part of our lives would conform to his will in such a way that brings him praise and him glory. That that's how I view my purpose in life. As I said, he repeats this phrase. It becomes a framework for his encouragement to these Christians and in his prayer. Our purpose is to praise God with every part of our lives. Do you ever walk into a room from another room you go in there and then you stop and you're like I forgot why I came in here Does that ever happen to anybody else is it just me it'll happen someday as you get a little older you forget things you walk into a room suddenly you forget why did I come in here I meant to get something do something what is it and what do you do you back up maybe if I backtrack and retrace my steps I can remember right but that's the question we ask why am I here same question we ask throughout life why am I here let me tell you you don't have to wonder you don't have to guess every room you walk into every conversation you have every trip you take every day at work every interaction at home every trip to the gym and the store every time you eat out everything you do The answer to that question is the same. Why am I here? You are here to praise God. You are here so that your life and your thoughts and your words and your actions would bring glory and praise to God. That's why you're here. So let me summarize. This encouragement that Paul gives this church in Ephesus, It's encouragement that we need to hear today as we face a world that is hostile toward Christ and Christianity. And the first thing is this, you are loved beyond reason. That should give you great hope and peace. That should give you a sense of security. That nothing can separate you from the love of God. You are loved deeply. You are loved beyond reason. Secondly, you have purpose beyond self. We sometimes think we are here to be happy or to be successful or to make a name for ourselves. No. You're not here for your praise. You're here for the praise of the one who created you. You're a part of something much bigger than you. You have purpose beyond self. And then what else does Paul say? You have power beyond belief. God can do immeasurably more and whatever you can conjure up in your mind, whatever you can ask for in prayer, whatever you can imagine, God can do so much more according to what? His power that is at work within us. The Spirit of God working in us. Power to overcome temptation. Power to speak boldly about your faith. Power to embody the good news to the world around you. Power to love the unlovable. Power to forgive when forgiveness seems impossible. Power to make changes in your life. Power to have a relationship restored. He says all of that, you have access to it. The same power that brings life when there is death. Love, purpose, and power. Those are three strong forces, aren't they? And Paul says, you have that. You possess that. You are rooted and established in love. You have a purpose to bring praise and glory to God. And God can do so much more than you can even imagine with his power working in you. Love, purpose, and power. I think one of the the best places we see those forces converge, sort of the intersection of those forces is in the waters of baptism. Think about it. That's where love is on full display. The love that took Jesus to the cross to give his life to remove your sins. The purpose in surrendering one's life, dying to self, to take on a new purpose. I no longer live for me, I live for Jesus. The power. The power that comes in being raised as a new creation out of the water. The power that forgives our sins removes our sins does something that we cannot do on our own here at the Edmund Church of Christ we love to celebrate God's transformative power through baptism and for the past few years we've we've sort of started a tradition we try to get video or pictures of of all of our baptisms as many as possible here and and at youth camp and and on the mission field if possible we compile all of those and and then Todd does a great job of editing all of those together to make this beautiful video it's a great reminder that God is still at work within us among us and so we want you to watch this video of our baptism from last year and be reminded that God is still working among us when we first met, he said, I'm the prodigal son. I'll never forget that.
1: Kerrigan was thinking about getting baptized this summer at uh, Penny John, and she said, uh, I'm ready.
0: Blessed tonight. sin and not life. Bella confessed that
1: Jesus came to earth and died for our sins. This and- decision. Luke, this is a glorious day for you and your family. Your daddy'd be real proud of you right now. Something to remember. One day you'll be able to be with him for eternity.
0: He's so proud of your decision and this commitment that you're making today.
1: Elisa decided to be baptized tonight. Woo! This decision that you're making is a commitment to be Christ's representative here on earth. And this is something that Joel's been talking about um, for several months. Clay came up to us really early in the week and said, I think I wanna get
0: baptized. The last three years, the depth of your understanding has changed and your life has changed. We've seen that. I'm so proud of him, the journey he's been on,
1: the way that he's been there for other people. This isn't just one choice. It's a
0: commitment to every day for the rest of your life. Choose to live for God and choose to live for Jesus.
1: Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, who died for our sins, and you want to commit to that confession? Yes, You are committed to knowing my faith. Yes, sir. Uh, Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God?
0: The Son of the living God? Yes. Yes. I do. For us to spend
1: eternity with Him in relationship.
0: Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. Do you promise to follow His ways and to seek His ways all over? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and was crucified? Yes. Yes. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the
1: Son
0: of God? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes, I do.
1: Um, Holy Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> to rejoice in the gospel and to share that with others. Yes. Amen. That you will choose
0: every day to follow Him regardless of the cost. Family. Yeah, Jesus is the Son of God.
1: Yes. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the God. Based upon your confession today, before your family and before God, <laughs> Father,
0: Son, and Holy Spirit, for forgive us of your sins, so that you can find receive and give the Holy Spirit.
1: In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, for the forgiveness of your sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit. también
0: every year that that video gets to me what does Paul say he says don't be discouraged if that doesn't encourage you I don't know what can that is a reminder to us that God is not dead the church is not going to die it is not all gloom and doom God is at work among us don't forget that don't forget that God's love and his power endure forever and God is alive and he is working among us now, of course, we are here, and we have to live in a world that isn't always God-friendly, isn't always helpful, in fact, just the opposite sometimes, to the gospel, and to the, the advancement of the kingdom. And so how do we respond to that? What do we do? Well, a part of us probably wants to just leave, right? Just go to another planet if it was possible. Maybe start over, try something different, but that's not reasonable. That's not likely. That won't even work. Sometimes our hope is and our desire is to just retreat from the world, to find refuge in the safety of like-minded people, to protect ourselves from the big, bad, scary world out there. But the problem with that is when we extract ourselves from the world, we lose our witness to the world. We lose opportunities to influence the world for the gospel. Some of us simply just want to go back We want to go back to the good old days. We want to go back to the way things were. And usually that means an idealized version of of the world or the country or the church or even our family. What do we do? We can't go back. Why would we go back? One of the things we need to understand is the good old days weren't all good. There were things happening and things even endorsed by believers that we don't want to go back to, things that were wrong. We don't want to go back. We want to press on. We want to move forward. We want to step boldly into this new world, as confusing as it is sometimes, as difficult as it is sometimes. We want to step forward into this world by the power of God, conveying the love of God, what we need is not a restoration of something that was in the past. We need a revival, a revolution, a revolution inspired by the love of God and fueled by the power of God. Because God can do more than we ask or imagine. Did you notice we, we tweaked the stage backdrop up here? Did you notice that? Looks good, right? More than we imagine. That's going to be our theme for a while. We're going to keep that visible to remind us of several things one is we need to be prayerful people you see that phrase implies that we are praying and imagining we need to be prayerful people it's also a reminder of god's power that is at work within us that whatever we can ask for whatever we can imagine god can do so much more it's a calling it's a calling on us To not only ask for these things, but to see God working among us and to join Him. To join Him, engaging this world with the love and the truth of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you join what God is doing? This morning, if we can encourage you in some way, let us do that. Paul says, Don't be discouraged. There is reason for hope, there is reason for joy. Don't be discouraged. If we can encourage you th- through prayer or support, let us do that. A couple of our shepherds and their wives, are going to be in the parlor. It's a room on the hallway right behind me. They would love to meet you, to encourage you, to pray for you. You can go in just a minute and find them there when we stand up. Or you can come down to the front and we'll try to encourage you and we'll certainly pray for you. Maybe today you're ready to join the others, the many others that you saw in that video, surrendering your life to the one who gave his life. So that you could have life. Maybe you're ready today to be baptized into Christ. If that's the case, do it. Don't wait. We invite you to come as we stand together and sing. Let's stand.
1: For all that you've done, I will. Th-